everyone, and welcome to episode three of And That's on, on Equity. Equity. We're so excited to be back with our first special guest and the president of the UBC Women Empowerment Club, Armand Dillon. Hi guys! I'm actually really super excited to be joining Azumi today because ever since we started the podcast, I've been wanting to be on it because I love talking about our whole cause. Yeah, um, so if Armand, you would like to tell uh, the audience a little bit about yourself just so we get an idea of who you are, maybe what your interests are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, of course. I So as you guys know, my name's Armand, and if you follow us on social media, you've already read my little my bio, so I'm not going to repeat that, but I'm a UBC student, and um, I founded UBC Women Empowerment Club because I saw on campus that there was like this lack of an overarching club for women to kind of gather and feel welcomed at, so that's why I started it. And as you can probably tell by my involvement in it, my my interests are a lot of it is like social justice. I'm super interested in that. And so I spend a lot of my free time volunteering at places like women's shelters or hospitals and such where I can try and make a difference. And I'm also a writer and I write a lot of poetry. So that's like 30% of my personality. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's so cool. Maybe we can link your poetry in the episode. Yeah, sure. I have, yeah, I have an Instagram account for poetry and a lot of it is about, about women empowerment and social justice issues. So check it out. Yeah, that's so cool. So today's episode is on the origins and history of feminism, as well as modern day feminist movements and some criticisms. Being a women-centered club, I think it would be super helpful to discuss and talk about these issues. So yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I feel like feminism, just like the word itself, holds so much weight. Yeah. And it really needs to be talked about. Yeah, we were just talking earlier about how it's hard for me personally to identify myself as a feminist because I know that so many different people have different uh, views on what the word means and it holds so much weight, like you said. You don't want there to be any sort of misunderstanding and because, like, you don't know what everyone else thinks about it you you know you want everyone to know that of course you support women's rights and you want equity but if you sometimes if you say that you're a feminist people will automatically assume that you dislike men which is not true no yeah it's a hard topic to talk about definitely but I think that talking more about its origins and its history will kind of help clear up especially what our club specifically thinks about feminism and like what our Mm -hmm. stance is on it so yeah so feminism is often defined as the political social and economic equality of the sexes but there are so many theories and types of feminism along with the long history of fighting for women's rights gender equality and equity in general i know when researching the topic of feminism, mm-hmm. I found like 50 different types of so feminism. Much. Yeah, there's a lot. And um, even the history of feminism is hard to track. And 
yeah, it's a very complex thing to get around. Yeah, because just thinking about it, I think that the the history of feminism is it's huge because you know even in like our religious scriptures and things that are so yeah. so old there there have been like still like issues of an inequity between the sexes yeah for so sure. if it goes back to all the way back then that's mm-hmm. that's a lot yeah so if we go into the history of feminism um obviously like you said gender issues the topic of gender has existed forever but what we're saying kind of marks the beginning of an organized participation of women in politics we kind of get to the french mm-hmm. revolution yeah which began in 1789 mm-hmm. where women were frequently on the front lines advocating for their rights yeah so during the french revolution peasants in france organized a women's march where a large group of women marched to Versailles to confront Marie Antoinette about the high prices and shortages of grains and bread. So that was like a, that was like a kind of a breakthrough where there were so many women getting together and um, getting involved in Mm -hmm. politics. Because I'm sure even like before that there have been like individual like, you know, like kind of like people who have objected to the way the social structure is Mm -hmm. but the french revolution even like for a lot of things it was like a time when people saw like that distinction between okay a woman who's fighting for her rights versus like a lot of women who are actively trying to change the social structure yeah for sure And then uh, following that, feminists and scholars have divided the feminist movement um, into different waves. And um, yeah, we can't specifically pinpoint like the dates that divide the different waves because feminist activism is continuous. Yeah. But the waves kind of group the ideas and goals of feminism as they change through different time periods, making up the different waves. So... The first wave of feminism, um, often called women's suffrage, mainly consisted of women advocating to get their yes. rights to vote. Yeah, that that was pretty monumental. We've all learned about that, you know, like in sixth grade. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if I actually learned about really? it. Really? Like no. the big, the famous five, Nellie McClung, that was really big in our curriculum. It, like, kind of sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Maybe I wasn't listening. <laughs> but... It was a while ago. It was a while ago. But, yeah, so that was in the 19th and early 20th centuries. Yeah, so suffragists or suffragettes also focused on subjects like married women's property rights, mm-hmm. child custody, and citizenship. So, yeah, so it was the beginning stages of working towards equality. I... I, like, vaguely remember watching movies about this in sixth grade, but it was kind of, like, that separation between a woman or a wife being the man's property versus not. (laughs) Yeah, being their own person. Yeah, being their own person. That that was the important thing. If you just think about that isolated thing of, like, there had to be a movement for a woman to not be considered a man's property and to be considered her own person. Like, doesn't that sound a little bit crazy? Yeah, it really, it really does. 
especially now we just take it for granted basically that we can just vote yeah and it also depends like this first wave like the women's suffrage movement that changed things quite drastically for like north american people and a lot of european people as well Mm -hmm. but if i think about like um i'm from india so if i think about our culture there and i think about like my grandmother she when she got married she would have been considered like her husband's property still which is crazy yeah that is well (laughs) i know and i feel like even when we're talking about the waves of feminism there's like a lag almost Mm -hmm. and some places in the world are still on like the wave before the one that we are on yeah so as you mentioned before in canada the most prominent first wave feminists were the famous five these first wave feminists are actually often uh criticized yeah even though they are credited with giving women the right to vote Mm -hmm. they're criticized for not being inclusive yes yeah for example Many of the first wave feminists in North America, including the famous five, believed that only white women deserved the right to vote or be elected into office. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this was their way to kind of preserve their racial privilege. Yeah, I think... See, the thing is, is like, like, like I said, we learned about the famous five in sixth grade, but we didn't learn about any of their faults or their racial bias mm-hmm. and when I did like you know when I was older and I was confronted by that I was like so shocked because I had grown up idolizing these women yeah because I learned about them in school and you know they ended up not being <laughs> fantastic like obviously mm-hmm. they still made a really big impact mm-hmm. but um they still in a way they subscribed to the oppressive culture of their age and like how they were raised i guess yeah i feel like since i am since i'm part of such a um kind of like traditionally conservative culture i always Mm -hmm. try to like when i think about history and views that people held you know like hundreds of years ago i try Mm -hmm. to kind of give them a little bit of leeway because I recognize that like my grandparents and my parents they were raised in a culture where this was considered acceptable yeah and really people are really only willing to break boundaries and to kind of change social structure when it's kind of relevant to them right yeah so we have the famous five who were white women and they held racial views because you know that's how they that's how the culture was then and therefore Mm -hmm. they didn't advocate for universal suffrage because it didn't Mm -hmm. affect them Mm -hmm. and I feel like that aspect of empathy that wasn't there hundreds of years ago is way more present now Mm -hmm. it is it's not possible to jump from super conservative no women's rights nothing no Mm -hmm. racial equality nothing to suddenly everything yeah so you do have to kind of take the steps and I don't think that the famous five were all bad or all good. I think it was just, yeah, the progression towards where mm-hmm. we are now. Yeah. And hopefully we can progress further um, in the future. Yeah, hopefully, for sure. 
the first wave, we can say, kind of ended with the 19th Amendment, which was passed in Congress on June 4th, 1919, which granted women the right to vote. Yay for that. Yay for that. Thank you. (laughs) And then we get into the second wave of feminism, which refers to the ideas and actions associated with the women's liberation movement beginning in the 1960s. Yeah, the second wave is a progression of the first wave, advocating further for gender equality and women's rights. The important goals and topics within this wave are equal pay for equal work, birth control, and abortion. But the second wave of feminism also gets critiqued for not being fully inclusive. Mm. And, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, because, again, this movement was dominated by white middle-class women, Mm -hmm. and not a lot of people of color were included. Mm -hmm. White women were fighting for white women, Mm -hmm. and then indigenous, black, or other women of color were fighting for their own groups, kind of. Mm -hmm. Queer, trans, non-binary, and other sexual orientations kind of had to fight for themselves, too. Yeah, So, so we didn't have that aspect of intersectionality in the second wave yeah concepts of intersectionality were explored a lot more in the following waves and not so much in this one and i found this um i found this interesting a canadian indigenous activist lee miracle critiques the second wave of feminism for its emphasis on the idea that women and men must be equal And she argues instead that it's important to recognize that women and men contribute differently to society equally, but in different ways. And I thought that that was interesting. Yeah, I I think that's actually super interesting because in all of our social media, I always try to um, tell everyone like in our posts and things, instead of saying equality, I prefer the word equity Mm -hmm. because there's a distinction there. Because equality is saying, you know, in a lot of aspects, equality is necessary and it's deserved and it's just, you know, like we need to have equality, Mm -hmm. but equality is like equal. So Mm -hmm. you, you know, do the same stuff exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And then equity is that you have an equal opportunity to do the same things, but it's still to your distinction. Mm -hmm. And I think that in a lot of cultures, in a lot of different societies, there are differences in contributions of um, different genders to the society, and that's just how they are, and we shouldn't necessarily critique their personal way of doing things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah like, I, I totally agree that, you know, it's important to recognize that as a feminist, I want women to have the opportunity to do all the things that men can do, but it's still your choice. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people don't acknowledge that every individual is so unique and can contribute so much in their own way. And then in the third wave of feminism, this wave refers to the continuation of the feminist movement and the reaction to the perceived failures of the second wave. Mm -hmm. And this kind of begins around the 1990s. Mm -hmm. And this one is also focusing on the issues of equality and ending discrimination. Yeah, so we're just, yeah. It's just 
because we haven't got it yet in the second wave so we're just gonna keep trying yeah so yeah the origins of this third wave is often connected to the feminist punk subculture in the united states this subculture emerged in response to criticism of second wave feminism around the exclusion of racialized and marginalized individuals Mm -hmm. finally yeah so yeah so third wave feminists worked deliberately to be inclusive they concentrated on subjects like sexual liberation reclaiming derogatory words and violence against women Mm -hmm. and this is where the intersectionality comes in yeah and really becomes apparent in feminism yeah so during this time um kimberly crenshaw coined the term intersectionality to describe the ways in which different aspects of identity and oppression intersect and interact yeah it means that women cannot separate numerous injustices because women experience them intersectionally yes definitely i this is like i guess like for me and you both we're both people of color so Mm -hmm. it's the intersectionality has been like a given in feminism for me like it's not i can't like that you can't be a feminist and only support a certain type of woman yeah and it's just i feel like if you're in a position where you're, you you hold this belief that you are trying to change a social structure in order to lift up a certain group of people which as like if you were a feminist that would be women I feel like if you have that belief that, you know, people should be equal, how can you not support communities like the LGBTQ community or different races? I feel like that's just an inherent part of the belief of wanting equity in general. Yeah. Also in the third wave, Judith Butler introduced the idea that all gender is a performance. Um, She argues that gender is not an objective natural thing and that it's not tied to material or bodily facts and is solely a social construction and it's therefore open to change and contestation so this is kind of where we see um the separation between gender and biological sex yeah i feel like my view of gender is like there it's just like whatever you want to be (laughs) Mm -hmm. and obviously there's a lot of like you know societal contribution to that and like with like societal norms and stereotypes and such yeah and I feel like that influence like I me I identify you know like I'm I identify as a woman but I feel like the societal stereotypes that come along with that do sometimes like affect the way that I perceive that identity for myself. Yeah. I question so many things about myself every uh-huh. day. I'm like, is that really my personality or my beliefs or my own self? Or is that society's influence on what I think that I should be? Yeah. And it's hard to make that distinction. It's yeah, like, it's hard to know. And it's so confusing because it's just confusing to think about, like, am I who I actually am or do I have like this internalized um do I have these internalized beliefs inside of me based on my environment that have led me to be who I am yeah so then that kind of brings us into the fourth wave 
which begins around 2008 to Mm -hmm. 2012, which Mm -hmm. is connected to the rise of the internet. Yes. And, um, yeah, building on the third wave's emphasis on intersectionality, Mm -hmm. the fourth wave is even more deliberately Inclusive. inclusive. Yeah. So this is where we are, basically. Yeah. I think, like I was saying before, that, like, certain places in the world are kind of, like, perhaps even on the wave before us and like right now if we think about it we're kind of also in the second wave because we're Mm -hmm. still battling like abortion issues and things like that so Mm -hmm. but I do think that the rise of the internet has allowed different places in the world to be more like globalization so (laughs) more on the same track because the internet allows that very effective communication Mm -hmm. yeah a big part of the fourth wave is the me too movement mm-hmm. which happened on social media mm-hmm. hashtag me too it originated with tarana burke in 2006 and the movement for the most part has empowered gender and sexual violence survivors to come forward with their stories and make mm-hmm. public allegations against powerful or prominent uh, often male perpetrators mm-hmm. and yeah we saw that with like so many of the hollywood celebrities this the me too movement is like i like it's obviously it's it is controversial there's been a lot of controversy around it but mm-hmm. inherently in what it is it's trying to empower um survivors who are perhaps in less powerful positions in society and trying to help them have a voice. And inherently, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that was really, really impactful on my involvement in social justice. Yeah. I thought that it was amazing where, yeah. like, it gave so many women the opportunity to mm-hmm. come forward. And because so many women were united in this mm-hmm. movement, it really did make a difference and it really shook everyone. And Yeah. It, it did. I think it changed, yeah, with that, it changed the the way that, especially in Hollywood, mm-hmm. the way that things are managed. Yeah, and, and things are, con- people conduct themselves. Yeah. It definitely, I think that it was, it was definitely very necessary mm-hmm. because there has been a huge history of people in positions of power, a lot of the time they are men, um, abusing that and a lot of sexual assault harassment has come out of that and obviously that's now that the me too movement has happened i feel like that has become more publicly unacceptable which Mm -hmm. is necessary yeah which is really great um but obviously it is also hard with the internet where Mm -hmm. you can spread so much misinformation it can be awesome and it can be super great for communication but it can also can also be damaging in ways I think that's that's definitely true I think like the controversy around the me too movement like I still see it today like on people's stories and things like that where there have been you know like like we know that sexual assault is a very large problem in our society and Mm -hmm. a very small amount of cases are reported and out of all those cases that are reported, there are, there's perhaps like one to two percent of false reported cases. Mm-hmm. And I do think that those falsely reported cases, like that 
little percentage probably did arise with the Me Too movement because, like you said, people are given that um, that power. But I feel like highlighting, like, the way that a lot of people highlight that very small percentage, that is almost, I feel like it's, like, of course I empathize with people who are falsely accused of rape, like, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the thing is also that if you are only talking about people who are falsely accused of rape and you're not talking about people who are accurately, you know, accused and who are convicted and you're not talking about the women who are sexually assaulted, then you have this inherent bias Mm -hmm. and you're purposely showing this tiny percentage of this movement. Yeah. And that is undermining it as a whole. Yeah. I don't know. It's a hard thing to talk about because for for me, when I see people saying not all men or mm-hmm. that people arguing that um, women are now falsely accusing men, I it feels like that's shutting down the movement. Because yeah. It feels like it's going back to, again, people saying that they're not going to believe you mm-hmm. if you do Exactly, come yeah. And, um... Yeah, I feel like... Although, yeah, not, like you yeah. said, although I do understand that that mm-hmm. can be a concern or it can be something that comes out of a movement, there's so much more positive from yeah. it that I think... Mm-hmm. I do, yeah. I feel like the disproportionate amount of attention that goes to like, those false stories is undermining a movement that as a whole has been so incredibly empowering. Mm -hmm. And because of that disproportionate amount of attention, women are being encouraged to not speak out. And that's, you know, that's damaging and that's not okay. Mm -hmm. I do think, like, in its, like, not all men, you know, as just inherently those three words, yeah, that's true, you know, of course. I have a lot of men in my life who I love and appreciate, Mm -hmm. and not all men are, you know, terrible, and we shouldn't generalize entire people, like, populations of people who identify as men as, like, Mm -hmm. a certain way, Mm -hmm. but I think that the problem arises when, you know, a not all men movement is created to oppose the Me Too movement. Yeah. Because, like, why why do we have to assume that empowering women means that we're not empowering men? Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. A lot of people don't believe it's all men. We yeah. all agree it's not all men. Yeah. But the, the fact that it's opposing the Me Too movement is yeah. where there are I, some Yeah, issues. I completely agree that it's not all men. But, you know, um... I also think that kind of having that movement and, like, kind of shoving it in the face of the Me Too movement is a lot of people do that in order to take the voice away from the Me Too movement, and that's the part that's not okay. Yeah. But otherwise, I think, like, it's totally necessary to have, you know, like, have that support for men and because there are a lot of societal expectations for them as well and Mm -hmm. we need to break down that stigma about talking about it and that's super important. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of people who are involved in the Not All Men movement, that's their goal. Yeah. But it needs to, 
you know, there's a time and place for everything. And it's kind of like reminiscent of Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. Yeah. And it feels like you are trying to make other people be quiet. Yeah. Which is not, not good. This fourth wave has also been critiqued as being kind of a cancel culture, kind of like what we were talking about, or um, performance activism, mm-hmm. which performance activism has such a negative mm-hmm. stigma. But I think that there can be positives to kind of a performance activism because it does spread some type yeah. of awareness. The way that we can just watch stories and then share so quickly and spread the word so quickly I think it's so awesome and so great yeah and even if it is labeled as performance activism it does give people opportunity to see news that Mm -hmm. they wouldn't normally be seeing I think like yeah performative activism has a bad rep because it's like the intentions behind your actions right like Mm -hmm. People will post things without even reading the full post, and that happens. But, of course, like, the information... At the end of the day, the information is being shared, Mm -hmm. and that's good. Mm -hmm. But I think that also a lot of, like, the worry with it is that people, you know, like, we don't want... um, We don't want it to stop there. Yeah. Like, it, we want it to be... We don't want people to think that, oh, I shared this story, so, like... I don't have to do something else about it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like, just sharing the story, and, like, if I share something on my story and I have, like, 500 followers on Instagram, then a bunch of other people will see it too. Mm-hmm. And then they will still, at the end of the day, no matter the intentions that the person who posted the story had, they'll see it and they will be able to make the choice of maybe they'll actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. I've seen so many posts of misinformation yeah and i i know that people are just reposting it without Mm -hmm. looking into it and obviously that's not the best not ideal but i also can't help but be like but it's so good that people are like actually getting involved and learning about things because Mm -hmm. i know that like when i was younger in um elementary school and high school like my Mm -hmm. My mom has taught me a lot about, like, indigenous issues, but nobody around me knew anything about that. Yeah, no, me neither. And yeah. now it's all over social media. Everybody's mm-hmm. talking about it, and I think that that's so great. Even if it is performance activism, it is getting yeah. other people to learn about a topic mm-hmm. that they I wouldn't normally agree. be learning about. I think even, like, my, you know, like... In sixth grade, I learned about the Famous Five and I got invested into feminism. And Mm -hmm. I did, like, you know, like, I went and I, like, read newspaper articles and I did research on it because I was really interested on it, in it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was that age, it wasn't, in my culture especially, I guess, it wasn't, like, quite normal for me to be, like, this super opinionated person who was just, like, so angered and impassioned by, you know, like, inequity in women. But now I look at, like, my younger cousins or, you know, younger people who have Instagram and they're just, like, this information is presented to them and it's not even that, like, they go and actively try to find it. It's just there. Mm -hmm. And now for them, like, being 
a feminist or being um, knowledgeable about all of these different issues and all of these different cultures, that's normal. Mm-hmm. And that's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we're talking about, the fourth wave yeah. of feminism where information can spread so quickly through mm-hmm. the internet. I think perhaps, like, the the worry might be that people will see this information and then because it's presented to them, they don't have, like, the motivation to go and, like, look into it and go and, like, Mm-hmm. go deeper into it and to really become moved by it mm-hmm. just because they are passively looking at it yeah but i don't mm-hmm. know performance activism also does annoy yes me yeah sometimes it does it does i so, yeah, i agree that is definitely a big critique of this, this way yeah. yeah is people don't you know some we don't know how much people care i feel like that's <laughs> yeah. the big thing yeah So now we can talk about, like, a few different types of feminism. There's post-feminism, which these people are not exactly anti-feminist, but post-feminists believe that women have achieved the second-wave goals and are critical of third-wave feminist goals. Hmm. So, yeah, it's a label for a wide range of theories that take critical approaches to feminist discourses. You know, you get that a lot. (laughs) People will say, why do we need feminism now? We're fine now. Yeah, many post-feminists say that feminism is no longer relevant in today's society. Yeah, a a lot of people say that. And I disagree. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah. I I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier to where people are advocating kind of for themselves. Mm-hmm. And maybe for themselves and their lives, they feel comfortable and yeah. good. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. And we don't want to take yeah. away from that. But we still want to continue the movement for those who still feel marginalized. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's just necessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, another type of feminism is radical feminism, Mm -hmm. which um, says that women can free themselves only when they have done away with men and kind of getting rid of male authority. Yeah. And and changing that to where it's all... All women. Women. Yeah. I uh, don't personally you know, identify with that. I feel like a lot of the time when when I hear women saying things like, like, saying things that like, oh, like, let's get rid of the men. And, you know, like, just like, even in a, in a joking sort of way, mm-hmm. I feel like that undermines the type of feminism that, the type of feminist that I want to be. Yeah. And it undermines the gender equity that a lot of people are trying to achieve this type of feminism kind of makes me embarrassed to say that I'm a feminist yeah. sometimes. Yeah, that's... Because you... I don't want people to think that that's what I think. Yeah. Because it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why, like, I feel like, you know, it gives feminists a a bad rep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then even more extreme, mm. separatist feminism... It's a form of radical feminism that does not support heterosexual relationships. Mm-hmm. And it Oof. says that the sexual disparities between men and women are unresolvable. And separatist feminists do not feel that men can make positive contributions. This is not what we want. Yeah. Yeah, no. I feel like 
Like, for me, it's like I look at this and it's like, in my head, it's just ridiculous, Mm -hmm. you know? Because that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And in a way, even, even like radical, I feel like radical and separatist feminism, like, I just sense hypocrisy there. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like, first wave, second wave, third wave, we've been fighting so hard to equate the power that different genders have and to empower everyone Mm -hmm. and then if we go ahead and say and we take it like a step further and we're like now women should have more power we're becoming the people that we were trying to defeat exactly (laughs) this is i feel like this is why feminism is heavy yeah if feminism if the word feminism was only associated with you know like gender equity and like make mm-hmm. like that's not controversial yeah then then i would definitely yeah. for sure tell everyone i'm a feminist because that's yeah that's what we that's what we want and that's what we believe mm-hmm. even like you know starting the club and thinking about okay what should i name this club mm-hmm. <laughs> feminism is like it's just so controversial and it's so there's so many different opinions that people could potentially have is that like yeah i couldn't even consider making that part of the club's name or like you know yeah because i feel like everybody is going to have a different definition of what yeah. the word means in exactly their mind. yeah so like you know woman empowerment club is like i'm not trying to like i'm not trying to <laughs> make anyone feel small i just want to lift to lift up. them up right yeah. that's it Just trying to clarify that. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, on that topic, I thought that since we are a, the Women Empowerment Club and women's issues are basically the topic of our club, Mm -hmm. what do we think is the Women Empowerment Club's goal in relation to feminism Mm -hmm. or gender equity in general? Well, I think, like, throughout the whole episode, like, we've mentioned this quite a few times, and it's just that, like, I still think there's work to be done, and, you know, like, the reason that we started the Women Empowerment, or, like, the reason the thought first came into my head is, I think in my first year of university, there was a lot of controversy about fraternities on campus, Mm -hmm. and how there was a culture of sexual assault. Yeah. Um... And that's why the thought first came into my head. And just that, like, just that's, like, one tiny little issue in this giant pool of issues. But there's a lot of things that need to change. And there are, I feel like, as a woman empowerment club, I just want to make me and, like, all of the execs, obviously, we want Mm -hmm. to make campus, Vancouver, or, like, anyone who listens to the podcast, anyone who takes part in our activities we want to make them feel safe and we want to make Mm -hmm. them feel welcomed and we want to make them feel like they have a voice and an advocator for them yeah for sure so in relation to like to feminism of course I like each like you said like you know some people like you're not completely comfortable with calling yourself a feminist I'm not going to speak for all of our execs and say we're feminists because (laughs) Because that's perhaps not accurate based on the different types of feminism there are today. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, we want to just empower all types of women and we want to lift everybody up and we're definitely intersectional. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure. yeah, I think that our our goal, our goal is just to just do whatever we can to help equity become mm-hmm. a more prominent part and more discussed part of our society. Yeah, I think a lot that we want to do with the club is to give different people a voice Mm -hmm. and educate our audience. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you said, just like create a safe space at UBC. A safe space. And, you know, awareness is a huge part of that, like educating our audience, like our Instagram. We always talk about all the different issues. And I think a lot of that does speak to the whole idea of like, why do we still need feminism today? Well, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of reasons and that's what we're trying to highlight yeah and that brings us to our last segment and that's on you Uh uh-huh um the question that we would like to ask you our audience today is what are your individual experiences in relation to gender-based oppression and discrimination Mm -hmm. so um if Armon, you have any experiences you want to share? Or... Yeah, for sure. I think that this question, like, first of all, I just want, um, obviously I want people to share what they're comfortable with, but... Yeah, for sure. A lot of the time, it's nice, um, for anyone who's listening to the podcast, it's nice to hear about experiences that you yourself have gone through to make you feel as though just to reassure you and to make you feel as though you're not the only one and you're not alone. Mm -hmm. So that's why I would encourage, you know, even like anonymously for you guys to share your experiences so that other people can feel safe. Less alone. Yeah, I feel like that's really important. And my individual experiences, you know, there's a lot. (laughs) A lot of the experiences I have with like gender-based discrimination have become so kind of like normal. Mm-hmm. in my life that it's like hard to think of it because it just like I've I'm, it's at the point where I'm like okay like this yeah. is how it is you yeah know? like it doesn't stand out anymore. yeah and it it's not that's not that's not good that's not great yeah that's horrible <laughs> that's bad <laughs> I think um like be, I'm a person of color and I am from a generally conservative um background So a lot of my experiences, like, growing up is, like I said, like, I got really into feminism, and a lot of my experiences growing up is, was, like, telling my family or people generally in my community about this newfound interest that I had, and people being really wary about it and really, like, discouraging. (laughs) Really? Yeah, a lot of it was like that because, you know, in a lot of the time in our culture, it's kind of, like, a lot of things are taboo. Mm-hmm. A lot of things are like we don't talk about this, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like, um, this is like pretty. This is like pretty. Um, this is like small, but like periods mm-hmm. are a really big taboo thing in our culture, mm-hmm. and it's it's to the point where it's like like men are not supposed to know. <laughs> Interesting. Which is crazy, right? It's yeah. it's absolutely crazy. And I remember when I was like. Um, well, like 13 or something mm-hmm. and it started for me and I have an older brother so 
I was like, I was very, I was like discouraged to like say anything about it to him, <laughs> which was so strange. Yeah. And growing up, I was like 16, 17. I like, I started to recognize that, you know, that's weird and that's yeah. not, that's not normal because there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I remember like distinctly telling him about it. Mm-hmm. and yeah I was like I, I was probably like cramps or something I'm like sitting on the couch mm-hmm. and he's like what's wrong with you and I was like I'm on my period and it felt so strange to say that out loud because it's just like a hush hush topic you know mm-hmm. yeah really crazy and he you know he didn't know what that was so really <laughs> so I he was like probably 17 or something Interesting. I um yeah so we talked about that and even now, like, we live together, we, you mm-hmm. know, we, um, we both go to UBC, even now it's, like, if I were to say something, like, I have cramps in front of, like, my grandma, or even, like, sometimes, like, my parents in front mm-hmm. of my brother, that's not okay, because <laughs> he's apparently not supposed to know about it. Interesting. Yeah, and I... That's, it's crazy, because this is just, like, a completely natural thing. Yeah. But... There have there are so many things about women, their sexuality, their bodies, their reproductive everything that, you know, there's an unnecessary stigma towards mm-hmm. it. And I feel like that affected me a lot growing up. That affected the way I viewed myself, viewed my mm-hmm. body, and that's yeah, you know, for sure. That's not it's it's not great as a young woman to be told that you need to be quiet about things that are about you and your body and how it naturally is. Yeah. And I think that is one big thing that I really advocate for in, for, like, even other young women in our culture Mm -hmm. is, like, it's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. There's nothing that you need to be quiet about. Yeah. I think a lot of gender-based discrimination, like, I've I've experienced sexual harassment, you know, like, Mm -hmm. on the bus, on walks home, I'm always, like, scared. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That sucks. Yeah. I, you know, like, we text our friends when we're stay home safe. I call people if I'm walking and it's dark outside. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, p- everyone's scared and that affects everyone. But, like, women are disproportionately yeah. impacted by those kinds of things. Yeah. And the the sad thing about it is that we just all think that that's normal. Yeah, exactly. We just all are exactly. like, yeah, of course. Of course yeah. that's the way it is. It is. It's quite crazy. Like, if I'm... You know, if I have a late shift at the hospital or something, I'm, like, I, I sometimes work at BGH, mm-hmm. and I'll be walking home, and it's, like, dark, and I, I, I always call someone, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, like, one of my friends, and they'll pick up and be like, oh, I'm just walking to the bus stop, and they stay on the line with me, and that's normal, but, mm-hmm. like, I, if I tell, like, you know, perhaps one of my male friends who, like, doesn't have a sister or something about this they're like they're like wait is this really like do you actually do that (laughs) i don't know it's just like so normal now that it doesn't feel weird but Mm -hmm. it's just like always being scared really sucks yeah yeah i can relate to that for sure Mm -hmm. but yeah thank you for sharing what about you do you have any experiences (laughs) yeah i think maybe something that sticks out to me is like in grade 11 Mm -hmm. i was in a PE class Mm -hmm. and um when you're in grade 11 in BC Mm -hmm. you're not required to take PE 
Mm-hmm. So it's only the people who choose to take PE as an elective. Mm-hmm. And so it was all boys in that PE class with mm-hmm. two girls. And I remember the coach would always... Two girls. Yeah, only two girls. And mm-hmm. I remember the coach would always be surprised if I could, like, run as fast as the boys. Ugh, or if I could, like... That's gross. <laughs> like, I, like, I distinctly remember um, doing a timed run and um i think i was just like it's probably average of the class uh-huh. and to the people who were running at the same pace as me he was like oh you'd like you could do better next time like yeah you should do better next time mm-hmm. then to me he was like wow that was amazing you did so good yeah it's just and it's not that it's not a big deal but it's yeah. just like knowing that his expectations for me are a lot lower than his expectations for the boys in the class was kind of frustrating yeah and I remember like um when we played baseball Mm -hmm. and like all I did was Uh. like hit the ball and he's like wow and like Like, good job (laughs) which the thing is it's like a positive thing like he's like he he's trying to be supportive and he's um like, my coach was being supportive and being nice, but it, it's, like, that underlying thing of knowing that, like, it's because he doesn't think that I can be that good because yeah. I'm a girl. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, you know, PE class in high school has mm-hmm. always had those aspects of inequity for me, too. Yeah. So I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for coming, Armand. Yeah, it's been super nice talking to you. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for thanks for having me. <laughs> I was I had a lot of fun. That was fun. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I love talking about women empowerment and feminism and mm-hmm. such because you know that's been my thing forever. <laughs> yeah, I think this was a great episode to have you on, especially <laughs> as the president. Yeah, um, it was so nice. Yeah, so. Yeah, thank you for all your insight and everything. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope the listeners did too. I'm Azumi. And I'm Araman. And that's on Equity.